Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high achieving and ambitious mid level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook, Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn, and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How are you? How is your spring treating you? I can't believe that uh, we're recording this in January, but this is going to air in March. So it's, it's weird to think that uh, two months from now, (laughs) who knows what the world might look like and what's going on. Uh, But I thought that this topic that we have today and our guest was particularly useful for you guys. And I say that because in the pandemic in particular, I've had a lot of questions from potential clients, actual, you know, clients, clients I had years ago coming back to me who are thinking about changing careers. And I make a very clear distinction with them and work with them to decide, okay, are we thinking about this change from a place of fear because our current industry has been decimated, our current career field has been decimated, we're afraid of something relative to the career field we've been in, or are we allowing ourselves the space and the energy to think about what we really want to do in this next chapter of our lives? And it brings us excitement and joy and thrill as opposed to running away from something that is fearful to us. And so I think we'll go into a little bit more detail on that. But our topic today is three clues from your past that can help you uncover your dream career. And my guest today is Laura Berman Fortgang. Laura, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. So start by just kind of introducing yourself and your background and what got you to where you are today. Sure. Thank you. Who doesn't love to talk about themselves? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have enjoyed the last 25 years plus as a coach. But you wouldn't have found that in my resume in the most um, conventional way. I I had the opportunity to live outside of this country when I was a kid. It made me very curious and culturally aware. And somehow I found my way into a passion for theater. Like I just wanted to be on stage and not so much. Well, at the time it was just fun. My parents wouldn't pay for a theater degree. So I got a BS in communication from Boston University. And I, I like to, I like to uh, highlight the BS because that's really what it was. I love, I love the theater comment. Cause I was talking to somebody yesterday who was like, yeah, I really wanted to major in music or it was her, it was her brother who now plays bass for Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. But when there he was a kid, go. his parents were like, hell no. <laughs> Well, good for him. Good for him for persisting. I mean, I, I, you know, I did what my parents wanted me to do, and I did every show in college that you could do without being a theater major. And then, you know, I was, I had less fear about going to New York and pursuing my dream to be on Broadway and musical theater than I did about writing a resume and getting a job. So (laughs) I didn't. 
I was afraid to be 35, have never tried, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I moved to New York. I waited on tables. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was an excellent waitress. And I, and I was reasonably successful. I mean, you know, I got my union status. I traveled with high-level uh, professional theater. Broadway eluded me. And at some point, I just really crashed and burned. Like, I really had a mental health crisis because I worked so hard. I sacrificed, you know, friends, romance, everything to do this. And um, I couldn't understand why it wasn't working for me. And in this three-year dark night of the soul, I uh, chose to stay on this planet and then came out of it on the other side as someone who was incredibly compassionate to other people um, and quite intuitive. And I had this intuitive thought to contact an old acting mentor. I followed that intuition. It bugged me for months. And he had become a coach and I'd never heard of such a thing. And he thought he could figure, help me figure out what else to do with my life. And fast forward within two years, he helped me so much personally that I was one of the first people to join him in Thomas Leonard's coach university, which was one of the very first coaching schools in the United States. Uh I was student number 16. The 16 of us were part of what started the international coach federation, which now is in like 80 countries around the world, certifying coaches, every university has to go through an, uh, you know, the ICF to get uh, their program together to meet the standards. And so I took off on this trajectory, what was like rags to riches and my life changed dramatically. And I've since like, you know, spent 25 years helping people figure out what to do with their lives. And that wasn't my specialty at first, but it came out of 9-11. Like, just as you were saying that, you know, this crisis as people calling you out of the blue, I had like at four days after 9-11, my business exploded with people realizing that anything could happen in life and it was too short to be in a job that they hated. So since then, I've like almost exclusively done career change, career transition exploration. And I have a program called Now What? 90 Days to a New Life Direction, which be, has become what I'm known for now. I love I love that story. I, I love that um, you were there to help people after 9-11 and that you recognized sort of this is this is my time right I I can identify with that because after the after COVID hit I actually was out laid flat on my back I've told this story on the podcast before but I was flat on my back with a back injury I was told to you know not to work lay flat drugs you know whatever and I I was pissed I was mad and I was just watching TV and getting angry. I'm like, this is not my usual. Usually when I feel terrible, I don't feel much of anything other than terrible, but now why am I (laughs) mad? Why am I pissed off? And I realized it was because I'm supposed to be helping these people and I'm laying on my back. I'm not helping anybody right now. And so it was, it was really poignant. And it was so, I think it was so important for me to have that time flat on my back because it made me appreciate when I wasn't on my back and I could help people. And it really helped me to understand this is, this is my time, right? This is what I'm here for. And I, and I think that the conversation that we're going to have today is in part to help people recognize what their what their thing is right what their time is what they're put on this earth I do believe we're all put on the earth for a specific reason and let's see if we can't figure out what that is before it's too late to do something about it right absolutely and uh I I definitely believe there's something we're each built to do and contribute and lo and behold it's the thing that'll make you feel like your life is most satisfying and meaningful so it goes hand in hand 
And I, I like to think of it as, you know, our life is kind of in thirds. We have the work third, we have the, the, the play third, the family third, whatever, and then we have the sleep. And my contention is if the, the work third isn't working right, the other two aren't either. So you, you know, you can't stand in a coffee shop line for five minutes and not hear people talking about their job and their career and unhappiness around those things or, or thrill around those things. Usually it's the former, not the latter. And, uh, and, and we are in a position to help people with that. I, I have to know what country you lived in. Oh, I lived in Caracas, Venezuela. Venezuela. Yes, back, uh, back when it was a functioning democracy. Well, we're talking today about three clues from your past that can help you uncover your dream career. So what do you mean by clues? Over the course of my work with people, I've discovered that if you really want to figure out that sweet spot, that thing you're built to do, your resume is not likely to tell you what it is. Right. <laughs> so um, I, I have people do a life story process and there are clues in your story that point to what needs to be included in your future to be in that sweet spot. So I've identified the three clues to be, you know, common themes, driving motivators, and we can explain all this. And then, um, the real significance of dreams, like people, you know, like me dreaming of being an actor, you know, I pursued it in that package, right? But it didn't go right. So 10 years after I'd become a coach, I look back and I was like, why did I really want to be that? Like, what, you know, what did I want to have happen if I was successful at that? And it was that I wanted people to be sitting in a theater, having an experienced having an experience and be changed by it, be forced to think, maybe even be uncomfortable and grow, <laughs> right? So that they would see something on stage and go, oh, you know, I really need to deal with my relationship with my father. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a call tomorrow because I saw this show. So that's what I really wanted out of theater was to move people to change, to do something. <laughs> and that's what I do now in a different package. That's why I'm laughing because it you you just described the reason to become a coach. And I think that's that's so fabulous that 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 connection between the two and that you made that relation, you saw that relationship. Yes. And so that's what made has having that happen for myself in hindsight is what made me put it into my work. And it really like even dreams that didn't you didn't touch and never did anything with. I help people dissect that for the clues of what they're really meant to be doing. Well, so let's just dig into these three clues. So number one, the first clue was what? Um, themes, like I call them golden threads. Like what are the, what are the, the common themes throughout your life? And they could, they could even be negative. You know, like I had someone who's like, I never finished anything. Right. So that was, that was a theme, but we found value in that, in the sense that trying to understand, well, I'll, I'll, let me bring that to the, the next thing of the driving motivators. So we had this theme and um, we looked at you know, what causes that? And she had a driving motivator that was about, you know, never standing still, not, you know, not letting the dust collect on her. So no wonder she never finished anything, hmm. right? So we had to dissect that. Now, positive themes, like I had someone once who was a, a philanthropist since she was a kid, you know, like she did the McDonald's carnival in her backyard and she loved to draw and she would sell her drawings to raise money to, save the animal shelter. You know, she had philanthropy through every part of her life and including as an adult and she worked for a bank and she hated it. 
and she couldn't justify or re rather the word is reconcile you know how am i going to go work for a nonprofit when i make a banker salary mm. and it took some time but lo and behold through her research there are many banks that have a nonprofit arm mm -hmm. and that's where she landed and eventually actually got out of corporate and now does full philanthropic work but it was fine it was recognizing that theme and realizing it it needed for her to no longer be like this separate part of her life she wanted it to be all of her life that is, um, that is amazing yeah so you know some are less obvious than others but the first thing is you know going back to your i have people write their life story so that you can see it but not in a screenplay or novel version you know just very tactical and just looking for those things those things that recur and recur and recur negative or positive they have meaning so then we we look for these common threads and then we what are these motivators what why do we have those common threads right yes but the the motivators are unique in themselves in the sense that i've i've observed over the years that many of us make vows in our young life <laughs> usually before you know mid 20s somewhere along the line whether it's from your early childhood your teen years you made a decision a vow and a lot of the times that vow is very motivating and is part of your success so let's say one of the one of the most unique examples of this i had a, a woman in her mid to late 30s salesperson top performer really starting to feel like she was losing her edge and back then i wasn't as clear about like that i help people figure out what to do with their life but I, we were working on her advancement and i was like you know the lack of motivation stop beating yourself up about that maybe you know you've changed so we look we go and look for what was driving her and her driving motivator was that she would not be a teenage statistic because at 17 she had become pregnant had to give up her basketball scholarship to college she didn't go to college at first she was not a teenage statistic however she got married she had more children she was successful in sales and here she is mid-30s just not feeling like herself at all where's my drive where's my motivation and i said well you're working on an old motivator you don't need anymore you are not a teenage statistic you're 37 years old so understanding that sometimes we make vows that we outgrow you do and no one's ever taught you to look for it that way so you're not like oh i outgrew my vow you're just like my life isn't working i i'm rudderless i don't know i don't know who i am that's what it feels like but what a place to look is, did you make a vow? Like, I'll never be poor. I'll never be like my mother. I'll show them. I'll show that teacher who told me I'm stupid. And those motivators work to a point. And then when they don't work, you feel rudderless and you need to shift your motivation. And it's just so unconscious for people that it really can make them be very stuck and not know what's wrong. This really fits in with what I've talked a lot about on the podcast about uh, your your beliefs and your your mind I call it mind drama but this this thought process and and I the analogy I've used that seems to resonate with clients about their belief system and them in themselves the world of work whatever the the belief is that we're talking about it's like back in the day when we used to have buffets who knows if we'll ever have a buffet again but let's just we'll pretend go to Vegas we'll have a buffet one day pretend <laughs> that there's a buffet and it's full of these beautiful foods and desserts and salads that all look very appealing and interesting 
interesting. And in the back in the left-hand corner is a very suspicious container of chicken salad that looks like it's a bad idea to eat. <laughs> really past its prime, probably going to get super sick. And that's the food that we choose. When we have this, we, we pick this belief about ourselves. We choose to believe that we're not good enough or we're not competent in a certain area or we don't know how to do x it's it's such an interesting thing to watch happen to others and of course i've been <laughs> i can remember clearly going to lunch with a friend of mine who's also a life coach and and i she, i just like blah, 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 when i first got there and she's like well those are some thoughts aren't they <laughs> <laughs> it's very dangerous to hang out with coaches <laughs> And I, you know, I, I like the phrase of like, we're just, we report it like it's the news. Like, I'm just, I'm not good at that. Or I don't have a college degree as if mm. that, that decides our future. And, and it's like that nasty chicken salad in the back. Yeah. And the not have a college degree one. Oh boy. Have I seen people create a whole identity around that? And it's, and it's just such a myth that that, that is a, an obstacle. As is the I'm too old now. Oh my gosh. Boy, we live in the same world, don't we? We hear these things all the time. I'm like, are there, you know, I always say the same thing. Are there companies that will discriminate against you because you are X years old? Of course. And you don't want to work for those companies either. You want a company that values your experience and your wisdom and they are out there. Yep. All right. So we've got step one and step two of our clues. What's step three? Well, as I demonstrated was looking at what dreams really mean. And, you know, I told you about the, the dissection of my dream, but also, I mean, this, this, this hits my heart because I think of our youth. I think of how we have not changed career counseling in, in high school or college in 50 or 60 years. <laughs> you know, we still ask, what do you like and what are you good at? And those are not the answers to your most fulfilling work. So when a kid presents a dream to their parents, like, you know, be a rock star or be an actor or be an astronaut, and it gets turned down, we are like doing such a disservice to our youth. It's not practical. You can't make money. I'm not spending 200000 on a on a college degree on that. Okay, great. But if we knew how to stop our kids in their tracks and be like, okay, why? What is it that would come out of it if you did those things? Really help them to get a sense of purpose, a sense of what is the service in that? How do they want to impact the world? That would either cement their choice or make them see their many other choices where they could accomplish the same thing. Which sounds like it's exactly what you did, obviously not when you were in high school, but it was this concept of I want to serve, I want, I want to to see and, and advocate for change in other people's lives. I want them to see the world differently because of the engagement that we have together. And there's not just one career that meets that criteria. That is correct. And I and I think that, you know, we have been trained to be like, you know, what's your dream or what do you want? And it I look at it as like a gift, it's a little package. But we need to open up the package and see what's really inside because we can create many gifts and many packages out of that. So what, one of the things I find extremely interesting um, in doing the dream dissection with people, I've had a lot of a lot of adults tell me that they dreamed of being a paleontologist, which, <laughs> which was, is the study of dinosaurs in which Ross on Friends was a paleontologist. 
I find that fascinating because none of them went there. None of them did that. None of them studied science. So, you know, with many people, I've opened that one up and I'm like, what is that? What's behind that? Mystery, research, solving a puzzle, connecting the dots to the past. So we've looked for other ways. Like, how do you, how do we do that? And interesting. I mean, some people have fallen into careers that similarly can do those things. Others are in something completely different. So how do we bring some of those qualities that you wanted out of being the paleontologist into whatever you're doing now? It's such an eye-opener for people. It, it really is like ahas and recognizing like your soul. It's like handing people their soul on a platter and go, hey, this is who you really are. Now, how do we make it work in the real world? And we can. Absolutely. And, and I know that many a times over the years, I have worked with clients on what they do avocationally to fulfill that. I think of it as like an itch that's not getting scratched, right? So if, yeah. if you really actually do like your job, but you're feeling this kind of, I don't know, free floating dissatisfaction, you're not, you don't hate it. You're just like, there's something missing. It isn't necessarily your job's job to provide that thing. And so I think about, I, I, I always go back to back, oh gosh, when I lived in Georgia's, this is back in the eighties, ancient history, but our pianist, who was a, an amazing pianist. And I have a degree in music education with a principal in piano. So I know good. Ah. He was an accountant. He was a partner in an accounting firm. And I just, I made up the story, right? Cause I never, this was way before I knew anything about anything. Right. But my story that I've made up is that he had that creative artistic side, that unstructured kind of side that he really liked. And, you know, you can't be too unstructured in accounting it. You end up, you know, uh, <laughs> bad things happen to you. You have to be pretty structured. You have to follow the rules. And so music was his creative, artistic, unstructured outlet that may probably made him enjoy his work so much more. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. And, you know, should your hobby be your job? Not necessarily. You know, it's just really understanding, you know, do I work to live or do I live to work? And for some people it's like, you know, you know, I only got you know, 10 years or 15 years, I, I could keep doing this as long as I do more of that thing on the weekends or more of that thing on the side. Right. I mean, I just worked with a very uh, high level C-suite executive who not, he doesn't want to give up that money, but, <laughs> but he wanted to get the satisfaction back. And we discovered through our work, a legacy project for him, something that would long outlive him mm. um, in, in, uh, the communities he wanted to invest in. And that just gave him so much energy and made his work almost seem like, why do I give this so much drama time? You know, I don't, I'm not giving it that. I'm not letting it suck my energy like that anymore. It's just a means to an end while I create this thing for my future. And that's great. Absolutely. And, and the flip side of it are the people who are 10 or 15 years away from retirement and literally can tell you how many minutes they still have to work. That's awful. They're that miserable. And right. thinking that they're giving, they would give up so very much in order to make a career change. And yeah, I'm going to push back and say, what are you giving up by not making that career change? Exactly. Well, my favorite line of the movie up in the air where George Clooney, you know, traveled around mm -hmm. firing people. <laughs> He looks at the guy's resume, looks down the bottom and he sees like some chef training or something. And he looks at him, he goes, how much did they offer you to give up on your dream? Ooh. Oh yeah. That, that was my reaction. And that, that's like the line that I remember from that movie. 
And it's so true. And look, life is real and we have kids and we, we have responsibilities and things happen. And, you know, hey, being a chef means working nights and odd hours. So it's not always practical, but it was such a true, true statement, you know, just seared through his being that there was more awaiting him and that it'd be okay if you made that move now while we're giving you a package to do so. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. And you've probably had the same experience, but I've had so many, mostly gentlemen uh, who get to their, you know, near 60, retirement is in sight, they're a CEO, they're C-suite, they're, they're high level. And what's in their heart to do is, you know, they want to work in a nonprofit or they, and, and I love the work of figuring out, okay, your, 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 your area of expertise is finance. Let's translate that. Let's, let's talk about how much nonprofits need CFOs and that they do have, because a lot of times that's brand new news, right? What do you mean they have a CFO and, or just whatever their area of expertise is figuring out how that fits into the nonprofit world. Um, because they want to, I always say they want to downshift the car. They don't want to put it in park as they get in near retirement age. They're not ready to give it up and go sit on the porch, but they also don't want to maybe work at the level that they've been working at. It's always interesting to me when there are, I mean, we are per, still pretty darn fortunate in this country and a lot of people were responsible with their money. And it's interesting how there's so much fear about letting go and creating a, a new step, even when you can, even when people have the financial opportunity to do so. And I think it's all about identity. Like, who am I if I'm not that anymore? Or who am I if I don't show up at an office? Or who am I if I don't have people, you know, who are my subordinates? It, you know, we're really, we're so trained for prestige and money and status that we forget joy sometimes. <laughs> joy and personal fulfillment and, you know, really waking up in the morning ready to go to work excited about it and 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 of course you don't love everything nobody loves everything they do in their job but on balance loving what you do yeah i mean even you know both you and i assume are in a in a path that we chose and that is very satisfying and there's still days you wake up and go oh i don't <laughs> want to be on the phone today you know and then i'll have that first session and be like damn I like it. You know, it's, it just comes right back how, you know, it's, it's humbling too. Like, you know, like I've, I've learned over the years as a coach with, I mean, I have 27 years of experience. There's days where you're just like, you're so humbled because you, you never can think that, you know, everything you can't like, you, you have a lot of experience, but then you show up and you learn something new or it's thrown at you in a new way. And you're like, wow, I know nothing. Isn't that great? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't mean knowledge. I just mean like the humility of being privileged to partner with people and to continue to be surprised and delighted by the human condition and how we can help people accelerate the, their own goodness. You know, it's, it's really gratifying, but also humbling. I couldn't agree more. So I'm really curious about this um, program that you have. What is it called? What's next? It's called now what? It's so now funny. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Now Everybody does that. It's now what 90 days to new life direction. And the 90 day piece came out of 9-11 because all the travel disappeared, right? The skies went dark. No one, all the conferences got canceled, all my speaking engagements. 
And I could commit to people to coach them for 90 days and then see what, what the travel schedule was like. And it was so interesting, the power of suggestion. When you gave people 90 days, it took 90 days. And in 45 days, we figure out what it is you're designed to do, you know, uncovering all those um, unconscious or missing pieces. And in the second 45 days, starting to tactically figure out how you could get there. And this is something that I do one-on-one -on -one with clients. I train other coaches to use my program. And then this in the end of 2020, thanks to COVID, we pivoted and created a whole online course with 46 videos and 13 modules and giving people the opportunity to do it themselves with some guidance, you know, in Q and A's and stuff. So it's been, it's been so great to try to get it out to people in every form we can think of. That is fantastic. And, and so we've talked about these three clues and, and writing your, your life history out. So I'm wondering what other kind of tips or tools can you recommend to people who maybe feel like they need to do this on their own, or at least they want to start on their own. Um, hopefully they, they end up taking your program, but what can they do to start on their own? Well, I'll give you the, our, the very first step that we use is that we try to point out to people that you probably spend more time talking about what you hate or can't stand <laughs> about your current scenario than you do about what you want. And even a simple list of writing down 20 things, 10 things, whatever it is, 50 things that you hate. I know that's a strong word, but I like to use it to really capitulate this exercise. So write down 10 things you can't stand. And I will show you on the other side of those 10 things, there's something you want. So if you say, I hate my boss, what do you want? I want a boss that respects me. I want a boss that um, gives me autonomy. I want a boss that taps my creativity. Oh, look at that. You know what you want. I hate my commute. Well, now well, none of us are commuting now, but let's say that was your past complaint. Then what do you want? I want a shorter commute. I want to walk from home three days a week. Right. So people spend so much time telling themselves the frustrations. And if you're not sure what your frustrations are, ask the people in your life because they hear them all the time. You know, I, this is especially useful if you're like, I have no idea what I want because I instantly show you that you do. So there's a tip. Write down 10 things you can't stand. And on the other side of the paper, write down what that means you want and write and start reading the list of the things you want every day and every night. And you'll start taking different action. I think that is so important in so many areas of life, because I do believe that what we focus on expands. So if we're focusing on what we hate about our job, we get more hate for our job. <laughs> right. So right back to those people online at the coffee shop that you're overhearing, you know, like, yeah. oh, she did this and they did that. And I can't stand this and I can't stand that. If you spent that time brainstorming with your friend, what, you know, where can I find something that's more creative? What else could I do to bring my skills <laughs> out there? That That's a whole different conversation. Now, look, I understand venting. I understand, you know, if you just came out of a scenario that made your blood pressure go up and you need to talk to somebody, but most people spend more time complaining and being in the hurt than being in the what I want. I, I, I'm reminded of when I bought a car last year and I went with a friend of mine who's not a coach, never, never done any coaching, never been coached, but she was wiser than I was because I, I, the, the salespeople at the different dealerships were saying, well, what, what color do you want? And I'm like, I don't want, I have very strong opinions. I'm like, 
I don't want a black car. I don't want a white car. And I don't want a road colored car, which I have to explain means it's the same colors. It's basically gray. Had one of those people kept trying to run me over. I knew I didn't want a road colored car. And she stopped me and she's like, Lisa, what do you want? And I was like, oh, I can actually, like, it was so bizarre because I'm a coach. I should know this. I'm like, I want a mid-toned, really vibrant blue car. And, you know, zap, that's what I got. And I didn't even realize it, that I had put that exact car, color and all, on my vision board for 2020. And I got home after I had chosen the car and I was like, well, what do you know? There's the Honda CRV in the mid-tone blue that I apparently wanted back in December when I created my vision board. And here it is manifesting. But I went the, you know, I went around the wrong way to get it, the the long way by saying, I don't want to, you know, this and I don't want that. And I don't want this. Like, what do you want? Oh my gosh, that gives me such chills. And it, the power of writing down and rereading, it really does program your brain I can point to a similar story and in way back in 19, I had written down in my new year's resolutions, like, you know, goals, write a book. (laughs) I didn't do a darn thing about it. I didn't even know how one would get started. And in December of that year, a set of lucky circumstances, really lucky, really crazy lucky landed me in a magazine article in money magazine with a client. I helped to make an extraordinary amount of money. And my phone rang off the hook. Uh, I had to get my mother to pretend to be my secretary. I had 350 people on a waiting list. And oh, three, my word. And three publishers call me. And I put out my first book a year and a half later. And I had never done a thing about even figuring out how to write a book. And from January to December that year, it happened. Well, and I like the phrase, the answer to how is yes. <laughs> Right. Like I don't need to know the how, if I have a goal and, and I, and I want everyone listening to hear that, whatever your goal is, if it's a career change, if it's a promotion, if it has nothing to do with work, it's a, a personal goal. You don't have to know the how yet. You just have to set the goal and believe in that goal 100%. And, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen, but you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. And, and, you know, and usually I, I would say, you know, and we have to take action, but you saw I didn't take any action, but I did show up every day. Right. You know, you show up 100%, you do your work, you impact people, you contribute. And I always come back to, you know what, be really good at what you do. That is the best marketing you could ever do. Absolutely. Be, be, and yes, for so, the people that aren't coaches, be great at what you do and be able to articulate what that is, because that's right. branding. And that's like, that's like the lucrative, you know, greasing of the wheel. That's what allows you to go from thing to thing is that when people have a positive experience of you, your work, whatever you've left behind, there's your networking, there's your, um, you know, your referrals, there's the people who are going to say, oh yeah, you want this person on your team. Exactly. Well, Laura, this has been a fantastic conversation and I think really good food for thought for folks. So how can they find out more about your, I don't want to say it wrong again. What now, what now, what (laughs) (laughs) it's a, it's a easy URL. Now what coaching.com. Okay. Now what coaching.com. And um, in the show notes, if I'll have a download for people, if they want to uh, get some free resources. Excellent. Some free resources. And how can they connect with you on, are you on the socials? Where, where can they connect with you elsewhere? Um, Laura Berman Fortgang 
and at Laura B. Fortgang on Instagram. You Excellent. can find me LinkedIn, Facebook, and there's not that many people with my name. And I'm not Dr. Laura Berman, the sex doctor. I'm Laura Berman Fortgang. <laughs> oh, I thought we were going to talk about sex next. Oh, I have funny stories because Dr. Laura Berman and I, in the years before internet, I used to get phone calls for her almost every day. What oh. people left on my voicemail, oh my goodness. Oh, I bet you that would be that. There's your next book. <laughs> <laughs> she and I should do a book together. <laughs> and people are calling her like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And she's like, have sex. <laughs> <laughs> and they call me with those questions. And I'm like, um, should we do your life story? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, I want sex. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to... Um, I'm going to have to mark this, this episode differently than all the other ones that aren't explicit. <laughs> I've never had an explicit. Thank you, Laura. I, this is my 168th episode and it's the first one with explicit content. <laughs> oh, it only had, it only had the three letter word in it. We didn't go too far. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with this, this conversation. I, I clean it up a lot for the general public, but this is much more me. <laughs> <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure. And folks, I hope that this has been useful to get you thinking, especially if you've had that gnawing suspicion that you are not in your dream career, or you just flat out know you aren't. These are some tools and some strategies, both for self-help. And if you'd like to take it further and work directly with Laura, of course, I'm always available to be your career coach as well. So you can reach out to me and I will see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.